This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Hi, podcast listeners. Please join Voice of San Diego for our next member event, the rescheduled Brews and News member mix-up at 5.30 p.m. Thursday, November 9th at the Museum of Man in Balboa Park. Voice of San Diego and the Museum of Man are teaming up for an evening of civic affairs, exploring the human experience, and, of course, beer. This free event is only open to Voice of San Diego and Museum of Man members, so if you're not a member already, become one today. Events like these are just one of our member benefits. To learn more, go to voiceofsandiego.org slash membership for more information. Now loading Oregon Trail. River! Yeah, case of water for my journey. Five dollars. That's about five dollars worth of coffee. I could also give you some sugar. Like I have five people I need to feed. Back in 2001, most of us hadn't really figured out what the internet was. We knew we could send email to each other, and everyone had that one friend who could somehow download illegal music from a thing called Napster. But other than bad GeoCities websites and AOL chat rooms, the internet was not known for entertainment. Well, three kids from Santee saw the future, and they knew they had a place in it. Welcome to I Made It in San Diego, Voice of San Diego's podcast about the stories behind the region's businesses, the big and the small, and the people who made them what they are. I'm Dallas McLaughlin, and in this week's show, a story about Mega64, a company that started as an idea for local public access TV, but wound up being one of the most popular online worldwide destinations for comedy, original videos, and a hub for the emerging underground that became nerd culture. I sat down with the three members from Mega64, Rocco Body, Derek Acosta, and Sean Chatfield, to talk about the group's origins and to also talk a little bit about growing up in Santee. New Mega 64 from Santee, California, or do you guys say San Diego or Santee? Well, it depends on, you know, if we're like in Florida, we say San Diego because no one knows what Santee it is. It depends on if I want to embarrass myself <laughs> and actually admit that we're from Santee. Well, you guys all met each other in, in high school. High school, yeah. yeah. At what's the high school? West Hills High School. West Hills. West Hills, yeah. And, and how did you... And like, I mean, this is a weird question because who knows why they met their friends in high school. But right. how did you guys gravitate towards each other? Uh, we did theater together. Yeah. We, we yeah. all met in theater class. So you're theater kids. We yeah. are. Oh, yeah. We are. And, uh, you know, I remember the first day of school, I, I didn't really want to be in uh, theater, but uh, my counselor put me in there because I used to do plays when I was younger. And uh, Rocco was clearly the funniest person in the class. And so I started gravitating towards him because I knew that'd be a good grade if I was with Rocco. (laughs) And I thought that about Sean. I didn't think I was very funny. I saw Sean and all his friends and I thought those guys are funny. So Mm -hmm. I wanted, you know, I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a lot of friends in school prior to high school. I didn't. I mean, I just kind of kept to myself. So, yeah, it was like, I wonder if these funny guys would let me hang out with them. And uh, yeah, so we I guess we found a mutual 
magnetism. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. how did you, you, were you just a part of that group, Derek? Or? I was younger. I am younger than these guys. And yeah. would you believe these were the popular kids in <laughs> the theater class? <laughs> they, yeah, Derek they showed were, up later. They were the most popular. In theater class, it's kind of anyone can be the popular yeah. kid. Sean was a ladies' man. I I did have my theater teacher pull me aside senior year, like, look, hey, you have a lot of girls that like you right now. Don't be a jerk. He was a ladies' man. <laughs> and Rocco was really funny. And uh, I was the new kid. So I was accepted into the group. So what were uh, some of the shows you guys did in in high school Uh, We did, the first thing that Brock and I did was DM Yankees, which, you know, when you're a kid, you think of like, oh, this was like awesome. But as an adult, I realized like, oh, that kind of sucked. But I I still think that was like a real play. Like DM Yankees. You guys did The Crucible. We did The Crucible. We did. uh, That one kind of sucked. Godspell, The Music Man. Uh, Pippin. We were we were gone by the time you did Music Man. Yeah, a Midsummer Pip, Night's Pippin, Dream. Pippin was our a Midsummer final Night's Dream. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So actually, real shows. We did real yeah. shows. Usually, yeah. high schools are doing like you know the Odd Couple and right. Oklahoma. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're we like uh, you know studying Bob Fosse tapes. Yeah. Wow. And seventies uh, dance choir. And it was in that theater class where the genesis for Mega sixty four was created. It didn't have a name yet. It wasn't even formed, but Rocco started making videos for the theater class, and the other guys took notice. Derek explains. You know, it actually started with Rocco and the theater uh, class. After every show, Rocco would do kind of a behind-the-scenes video with with comedy skits. Yeah, and we it, it was like oh, I was just gonna say yeah. they're like fake behind the scenes. Yeah, it, well, he would just, it'd be inside jokes, making fun of people, and we'd we'd watch it at the cast party after every show wrapped, and that be kind of came that became the tradition of like. What was Rocco going to make next for his next video? And uh, I mean, you were doing this on like the tapes, right? VHS, Using, like, VHS, VHS, VHS tapes. tapes. Yeah. Wow. And, and that was really how Derek and I bonded. Like I already knew Sean from do, obviously doing theater with him. But Derek was really into like filmmaking and made his own videos. And um, he made videos in school that would he would like mix like clips from movies sometimes with do you remember like you made movies where, or, or videos where you I made a video with... that would land me in jail yeah if I, I made was it just today. about to say in high school <laughs> I took clips of a zombie movie and it was like a sniper shooting these zombies and I intercut it with me and my friends this was for a high school class and we would say like oh there's that kid there's Danny from a German class cut to a zombie getting <laughs> blown away <laughs> Yeah. I think about this now, and I'm yeah. like, I would be on every FBI well, watch list yeah. if I made that video today. that one Halloween that you were the Unabomber at school for Halloween? I had a weird sense of humor, and, and in high school for Halloween, yeah. I had yeah. dressed up like And he would walk into like a, a classroom that he didn't know and just drop a package and then leave. And like that would be, that was the but Halloween you know, day. <laughs> but you know, it was funny it at was, the time. It was funny at the time. It was funny because honestly, like all of that, it was messed up, but it was so distant from us that it was like, okay, that's messed up. But haha, you know, it wasn't happening. None uh, of that stuff was happening I, at I, school. I put my hood up and I had a dark pair of glasses and I walked around school all day with a box with like a baby rattle inside of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was no social media at the time. So no. Like, yeah. Everybody was super removed. Yeah. From, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. It wasn't yeah. a problem. It didn't go viral. <laughs> CNN didn't pick it up. At the time, Rocco was editing everything on a VCR until Derek taught him about the glory of editing machines, even pointing out that they were able to use the school's editing bay. Sean jumped in on the creative and performance side, and the three started to inspire each other. They started to really enjoy working together and making these ridiculous little videos for high school. Then, high school was over. Here's Rocco. When high school ended, it was just kind of like, oh man, like we had this constant creative output 
And then after high school, it was just kind of like, yeah, we're all doing part time jobs. It's like, oh, man, I, I really miss like doing stuff like mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. You know, I did some community theater thinking like, oh, OK, maybe that's it, you know, and that was fun. But it yeah, it was just we were it was just missing something. And, you know, we started to talk about, you know, man, we should get to filming stuff again. Like it was really fun making videos. Maybe there's ways to get that out there. You know, um, at we the- were big fans of Tom Green. At the yeah, time. sure. Yeah, and what what year is this? What this year is like oh, 1999, 2000, 2001. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We graduated 2002. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, and so around that time, it was like, yeah, we could do video stuff, but who would see it? And uh, the internet, I used. I mean, I was I was definitely on the internet a lot at that time, but uh, it wasn't uh, really viable for video that much. So it was it. At that time, all the shows that we looked at that we were inspired by, you know, we loved Tom Green. We loved Mystery Science Theater 3000 was it was a, you know, a favorite of ours. And, uh, you know, a lot of these shows started on public access TV. And I loved growing up. I loved turning on the public access channel here. uh, You know, we'll get San Diego specific here. Uh, Cox Cable. I think it was channel 23 was their Oh, yeah. Their channel that was dedicated to public access. We used to joke that public access had two shows on it. Uh, it was either a religious show or a guy who was like a local magician showing like really bad magic tricks. And we're like, if we get on public access, we will be the most famous guys in San Diego. <laughs> There's no competition for us. Uh, re- uh, well, to specify, oh, it was always a religious show with puppets. With puppets, they yeah. Always had puppets. But anyway, so. but no, I, so I would always watch stuff like that. And then uh, so anyway, yeah, it was like, you know what? I'm going to look into I started like digging into public access stuff. There was nothing available online about, you know, information about how to do that or well, anything. Back in 2002, there was almost nothing online. Yeah, <laughs> for information. Was, to find anything yeah. was impossible. Yeah, and, YouTube, was, and YouTube wasn't around. No, no. no. Pre, Pre-YouTube, pre-everything. Was Google around, yeah. really? In Google uh, was yeah, a search engine. It must have been like brand new, but like it. Sure I don't think I don't think Gmail was big at that time. <laughs> no, no. I had Hotmail, I know, back then. I had Hotmail, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, so so I just honestly, I called the cable company. I called Cox and was like, hey, how do what do I do about the public access? Like, how do we get on that? And they I mean, I went through like 10 different phone numbers and finally got a voicemail that was like, leave your information here. We'll send you a packet. (laughs) Okay, and then I got this this just very like bizarre looking photocopied packet about, okay, here's everything you need to do to be on public access. And it was like, you need to go to this seminar you know, and, and go. Well, yeah. I remember I was sitting online, uh, which is how I spent all my nights just on AOL instant messenger, instant messenger and, yeah. and Rocco messaged me and he's like, I have an idea for this show we should make, you know, uh, where we do video game related stuff, skits and all this. And famously amongst us, I said, yeah, this is great. We could put it online, put it on public access, get it up in two, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> that was our goal. And I think it was two or three years later, Yeah, two or three years <laughs> it, before it took we finished forever. It. Um, but honestly, you had to go through so much red tape to get on public access. But I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I really want to do this. So I went to all these weekend seminars that you had to pass to be on public access. And it was me and like a male supermodel, a church group. Uh, I mean, it was the most bizarre room of people. A motley crew. Yeah. And it was just them teaching you how to like go backwards in technology. It was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, you have to have six full half hour episodes minimum to air anything. And here's the beta decks over here that you we're playing them on. So you have to get them on beta tapes somehow. We can't help you with that. Anyway, see ya. <laughs> um, but fortunately, um, Sean uh, 
can I say that about? Yeah, yeah you're allowed okay, to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sean's dad uh, actually had the equipment to do that, where you could convert to to beta. He had some studio he, equipment. Uh, he that, worked for a local community college. Yeah, he works at San Diego Community College. He still does. Oh. So it's really funny that you were scared to say something about equipment twenty years later. Well, yeah. I know. I was just. I don't <laughs> no. know. Was your, I don't. You know. No, no. They I let us in the family's I think, business. I mean, we <laughs> right now your dad's house is being surrounded by yeah. FBI. San, <laughs> San Diego Community College. We used your beta decks ten. No. 15 years ago for two hours and we're sorry. As the guys went to work on six half-hour episodes, the show started to develop and form. It went from silly sketches to full-blown character stories. They started to realize that this was not going to be easy. Time dragged on and the process was so slow that by the time they finished the episodes, they didn't even want to put them on public access. But what they had created, whether they realized it or not, was something completely original a show where you acted out video games in public. Here's Rocco. The concept of the show kind of developed. I I told Derek, I was like, yeah, we could do this, you know, this kind of stuff with video games. I was thinking like, what if we, because I was really into video games. I always have been. So I was just thinking, you know, something I've never seen is that these aspects of video games that are, are completely normal when you play a game, but if, any of that happened in the real world, it would be the most awkward thing. Like, you know, um, you know, Frogger, ha, huh? okay, frog crossing the street, but like, what? Wh- why is a frog crossing the street, you know? So let's dress up as a frog and try to cross the highway. Okay, or, what would car- you know, What would you do if you saw that, like in real life? What would? How would you react to that? You know, Assassin's Creed is a game where you walk through crowds of people, and as he does it, he gently touches everyone's shoulder. And that's normal in the game, but if you do that in public, it's like, what? don't t- what, what, what are you doing? Like, get away from me. <laughs> Which, so, by the way, doesn't sound like a successful business. But yeah, so that was kind of, the ge- that was generally the concept uh was to kind of act these things out in real life and see what kind of reactions we would get but then Derek and Sean as you know we would we thought we would do these skits and then have like maybe kind of like characters hosting the skits like you know host segments around it that's what I pictured I was like oh they'll have these characters kind of just hosting the show and then they'll go to different it was skits. very mystery science theater 3000 yeah where the host segments are two or three minutes and then the bulk of it is you know making fun of the movies for us would be doing these video game skits out in public uh-huh. yeah but uh Derek and Sean kind of developed it from from the initial thing where it was kind of like oh at, we're adding like story to these characters and so it's like oh okay so every episode kind of has a big storyline and then those skits are in there too so it kind of evolved the show a little bit and uh and yeah it became that it became the story of an evil scientist who creates this this evil video game console and he and he kidnaps these guys to beta test it and that would be our entry point into the skits is like the experiments that he does are these stupid skits out in public they got to work making episodes but the guys wanted to put something out before they aired the show on public access tv to publicize it when we come back how that one decision would end up changing everything This podcast is sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch Schools and Make-A-Wish San Diego. Monarch School educates students impacted by homelessness and helps them develop hope for a future with the necessary skills and experience for personal success. 
Make-A-Wish San Diego grants wishes to children with life-threatening medical conditions to enrich the human experience with hope, strength, and joy. To learn more about how you can get involved, please visit monarchschools.org and sandiego.wish.org. Welcome back to I Made It in San Diego. I'm Dallas McLaughlin. Mega64 had finally finished their six half-hour episodes for public access, and then they decided to put up a little trailer for their show on a personal website, just as promotion. This idea changed everything. Rocco Bodie tells us more. We made a trailer, and we put it on a website, and then... I don't know. The idea was we were going to advertise our public access show on on the the internet. internet. That was the idea. I figured out how to, because I I, I made a website in high school. Mm -hmm. It's like the, it was the dumbest website that I would just put funny images on and stuff like that. I knew how to build a website. So I was like, you know, I think I know how to upload a video clip. I mean, it would be a big file. It'd be like 30 megabytes at that time. That was big. But I think we could do it, and I don't think, you know, I, I think that would be fine. Let's put a clip up to promote the public access show. It I remember, be easy. I, yeah, I had a website, too, and we would get about 12 views a week on my website, yeah. and oh, I was yeah. stoked. I would yeah. tell yeah, my me friends, too. like, yo, we got 12 views this week. <laughs> so Rocco put the trailer on that website, and then he's like, you'll never guess what happened. We got 20,000 views on our website, which was, I mean, yeah. at the time, I couldn't even fathom how that I was remember possible. he's like, guess how many views he we got. He said to me, too, like, yeah. Well, it's got to be at least 12. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, it got linked to on message boards. Message boards. I, at, at the time, there's a site that's still up, but uh, the uh, Game Facts, which a lot of people go to for video game like tips and stuff. Mm-hmm. They have, I think they had like off topic boards and stuff like that. And yeah, the video got posted on there and people were like, whoa, have you seen this show? This is on public access in San Diego. But at that time, it, it, it had, wasn't. It, it wasn't. Hadn't been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we put that clip out there and uh, and it was like. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll put up another clip like, you know, like a full sketch or something. And we put out a video based on the game Shenmue. And then we did uh, another one based on Metal Gear Solid. And those got like I think the Metal Gear Solid one got like a two million downloads or something like and that. This is back in like 2003. 2003. Yeah. yeah. So Holy that, cow, that yeah. was crazy. But uh, what was unfortunate is we were hosting the video on our own web hosting, yeah. which bills you for how much data people download. Uh So that, you know, these video clips got downloaded 2 million times. And so I get the bill at a time when I'm working at Blockbuster and I'm making, (laughs) you know, $6 an hour. And, you know, I barely have a penny in my pocket and they're like, yeah, so yeah, you owe us 1200 bucks. And I'm like, that might as well have been a million at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we were like, what do we do? But the videos kept blowing up that um, we had, uh, there was a really popular site at that time, like one of the most popular sites on the internet was somethingawful.com. And the head dude from that site was like, hey, love your stuff. I'll host your website. It's like, okay, thank you. And uh, <laughs> he's like, I'll host your website, but uh, I'm looking into, I'm going to, I want to distribute like independent, D- like DVDs and stuff. I want to, I want to distribute independent He films. wanted to start his own production company, basically, yeah. a distribution company. And uh, so he said, um, I'll host your stuff, but uh, how about in exchange? Let's put out a DVD of your stuff. And we were like, oh, perfect. We've made six half hour episodes. Right. And so he's like, oh, th- that sounds great. Let's put out like a season one set. 
okay. And so that was a huge deal at the time. Um, but yeah, he, he basically told us, he's like, you're not still going to put these on public access, are you? And I'm like, well, no, that was the plan. And he's like, you know, like you and your immediate family will see that. And then someone will leak these full episodes online. Why don't just keep putting out little segments and then give them the full season on a DVD. Like, Hey, you like these, you, you know, you get a taste of it buy the whole thing. And it's like, Hey, that's a good strategy. Okay. And so that's what we did. So we never made it. So you never made <laughs> we it. Never made it access. Never. We never got a DVD deal instead. But we worked so hard. Regrets. <laughs> With small town dreams. Now in their rear view mirror, mega 64 started putting videos online and things took off. They printed a thousand DVDs and those DVDs sold out quickly, then another batch and another. The money wasn't great, but it paid back the group for anything they were spending and to them, that was success. However, the one thing they were getting that at that time no one knew how to quantify or really monetize was views. Every video they put up would get thousands to hundreds of thousands of views. They had an idea and the kids liked it. The only reason why we blew up the way we did was because I don't think anyone else was making video game videos. Like, no one else was doing that. That was before that was a thing. Yeah, there, there were some in, in kind of limited ways. Like, people would make kind of funny, a lot, honestly, a lot of the content online at that point were flash animations. Right. Mm -hmm. But there were little gaming things, but not, not, um, not live action in the way that ours was. And as oh, we mentioned, really. like, nerd culture didn't exist, really. Like, it was no. there. It was just under the surface. So if you ever mentioned Mario, it's like, whoa, this guy's you crazy. Know, what I remember, <laughs> it it's like Halloween time now. If you go to the Halloween store. They have Mario and Luigi costumes all over the place. They didn't have those back then. Yeah, even we, that was we, rare. We had to like yeah. make our own, you yeah. know, get the red shirt, get the overalls, get a hat off of eBay. And you guys yeah. are talking about the video you did where you dressed up as Mario and Luigi and yep. ran around yes. uh, yeah. the city. Yeah. Yes, that's what we did. <laughs> Which back then, you know, it's funny, it's really indicative of a different time too because that was all we did in that skit is dress as Mario and Luigi and run around town. And that was it. And But you'd get people going, what? why are they doing that? What is this? Mario and Luigi? I've never seen anybody dress like that. What is this? And how times have changed because now everyone has a camera in their pocket. Yeah. So no matter what, we're, it, you can't just film a video where it's just, I'm dressed weird. You can't do that because mm -hmm. people are like, okay, what stupid YouTube video is this? But back then, it was like, why would they be doing this? Especially now this that Comic-Con's here and blowing up the way it has. <laughs> like, you know, you see people dressed like video game characters all the time now in San Diego. It's yeah. nothing new. But I do think we kind of lent ourselves to that kind of culture. The next step for a few kids from San Diego hoping to make a name for themselves online was Comic-Con. However, this was back in 2004, and Comic-Con was still growing. So... At the time, the guy who made our DVDs was like, hey, do you want a booth at Comic-Con? And we're like, okay, so okay, I'll buy it for you. So he got us the booth. The deal was we had to share it with him. Right. And he was going to promote Mega64 and his own thing, uh, which was a movie that he had made about a haunted house, which was not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> P purposely, I think. But yeah. yeah. But uh, it didn't really. Yeah. So two thousand. that was in 2004. And it was super easy to get a booth. All you had to do was just send, yeah, send the check to Comic Con. Uh -huh. Okay, you got a booth. And so we did that, but our, uh, we didn't really have any merchandise ready that we were still not ready for that. So we didn't have any merchandise and he didn't have anything ready either. So 
we basically stood at the booth and we're just like, yeah, let me, we showed our videos on a TV. Here. I want to describe the booth. A friend of ours had made Mega 64 shirts as a gift. She made one for the three of us. So we had three <laughs> Mega 64 shirts yeah. in existence. We took one of them and put it on a hanger and hung it on our booth with a sign that said not for sale because <laughs> it was our own shirt. <laughs> yeah. And we thought it'd be funny. Like, yeah, people will come up and try to buy our stuff, but we won't have any for sale because <laughs> that was our sense of humor. How edgy. I know, How right? edgy. So we had no posters, no shirts, no DVDs. We still made about $1,200 at that Comic-Con. How'd you make money? We would go to other booths, oh, take their posters, <laughs> and with Sharpie, cross their name out and write Mega64 on it. And we would say, yo, a dollar for this official Mega64 poster. That's amazing. Uh, I think at one point I autographed a quarter. Yeah. I wrote Mega64 on a quarter and I sold it to a guy for a dollar. <laughs> pretty pretty were, sure that's legal. And were people coming up to you knowing who you were at Comic-Con? A, cu- yeah. a couple. I mean, it wasn't like... The biggest turnout ever, obviously. But most, we, most people were seeing the video there as they were walking by right, and catch yeah. their attention. And they thought we were funny yeah, and they'd be like, what's do a dollar away or donate a dollar. But that was right after our uh, we put out our Tetris video, and that was actually like one of our... That got like four million downloads. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because the the way I found out about Mega sixty four myself was that somebody showed me that Tetris video, and yeah. I was like, "Holy lord, this is genius! <laughs> They're wearing Tetris pieces and fitting themselves into things around town." Which again, now that's a Halloween costume. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I feel like we were the ones that started that. There's no no doubt in my mind <laughs> yeah. you were the ones. Thank that you. Started that. Thank yeah. you. Mega 64 was on their way to internet stardom, although no one really knew what that was. The first Comic-Con had gone great, so they couldn't wait for next year. But in just one short year, Comic-Con went from big to huge, and they missed the chance to get their own booth the following year. But when you're a kid, parents tend to help. My dad, unbeknownst to me, my dad called called the Comic-Con office and was like, just so you know, I mean, I just wanted to tell you, my son has gone to Comic-Con since he was a kid and his heart is broken. And, <laughs> and uh, I know you guys are trying your best, but I it would mean the world to him if he could have a booth there again. Like my dad, my dad totally did this oh, on his own. Amazing. And they, to their credit, and it's the same staff that worked there then that is there now. They called back and were like, uh, I think we found a spot. I think oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And so from that point on, we were like, okay, we need to like lock this down yeah. and make sure, you know, we pay early, you well, know, and, and, and now Comic-Con is what it is to get a booth. The waiting yeah. list is at least 10 years before yeah, you so can even like consider getting a booth. That's what I was going to say is that oh, that sorry. was the, no, that no, no, no. That was the year that yeah. it officially was like, okay, you're grandfathered in. That's it. Yeah. The door's locked. Um, and so luckily, you know, we made so it between in, so. the two Comic Cons, your first Comic Con with no merchandise, and then the next Comic Con where your your dad called in a favor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what was happening with Mega sixty four? Where were you guys? Were you still doing your part time jobs? Yeah, we were still yeah. in college. We were still doing our jobs. Yeah, mm-hmm. we kind of started Mega sixty four in two thousand and three, uh, and we yeah we it was a part time thing for about three years. So. And you, but was the idea, hey, we could actually do this for a living, or were no. you still thinking no. this? No, I, just I remember saying like, Rocco, if we ever make ten dollars, then we it's all worth it. Like, it, was yeah. the dream. It, it just seemed like that wasn't. Even we possible. were we were still just theater kids who loved attention. So <laughs> the fact that anybody was watching our stuff, that was all the payment in the world for us. Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, uh, I think it was Ubisoft contacted us. They saw our Metal Gear Solid video, yeah. and they had a similar game called Splinter Cell, all about espionage. And they're like, we love that video. We want you to do that for us to promote our new game. 
and we'll give you a hundred dollars yeah, to do it. <laughs> and we were so happy. Yeah. We were in college. It was like, that's 33 for you and 33 for you. Yeah. Ubisoft, a world famous company that developed video games like Assassin's Creed and Just Dance, would pay Mega64 between 100 and $300 per video. And this kept the website afloat, helping to pay bills, but more importantly, keep Mega64 in front of the very market they wanted to break through in. I remember we we were running the whole business, business, the whole thing. It wasn't even a business at that point. We were doing it out of Rocco's bedroom. We were making videos, editing everything right next to where he slept and with all his video games. And I remember thinking like, you know, we need to get um, like a clubhouse. We need a place like a headquarters <laughs> to do this. And we ended up finding a, a warehouse out in El Cajon and we kind of set up shop there and started doing stuff there and putting out more videos. And... um they got more popular and and then uh, eventually it was IGN was this like online video game yeah, magazine. Well, let me stop you real quick. I mean, you just got a warehouse. Were you just b- paying for it yourself? Or well, it was it was money? after it was after IGN reached out to us. So we we always talked about yeah wanting some kind of studio space or warehouse whatever. Um, in early 2007, IGN reached out to us about um, well someone we knew from the something awful days. We had kind of, you know, they they published our first DVD and and did another one after that. But then we kind of like we were selling enough stuff, enough DVDs and stuff to kind of like, OK, I think we can distribute them ourselves. And so we did that. But someone who uh, left something awful and went over to IGN was like, hey, I can put in a good word for you here. They're always looking for people to make content for the website and stuff like that. So it was like, sure. And, and uh, around that time. Uh, in in early 07 that we did uh, we were asked to do videos for the game developers conference in San Francisco which was just all the game developers get into a big room and they have awards and they were like can you, you know can you make some funny videos to play between the awards and we said sure but I noticed that they had a um, I noticed that they had uh, they were going to give the lifetime achievement award to Shigeru Miyamoto who was the creator of Mario mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just on a whim, I emailed them and I was like, Hey, um, is there any way we could get five minutes with him to do a video? And they were like, yeah, yeah, right. No one can, he doesn't have time for you, you know, whatever, but we'll ask Nintendo. Okay. And then they asked Nintendo and it was like, Hey, he actually does have five minutes. Um, can it just be five minutes? It was like, yeah, we'll keep it to five minutes. Okay. So we had him do a cameo in a video and that, um, that totally blew up Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, that day that we went on YouTube, that was the number one video on YouTube. And like, that was when YouTube, yeah, finally we were on YouTube and uploaded. Yeah, that just so, started. So when, so yeah, let's let's take a step back here because sorry. IGN, what? So sorry. Yeah, yeah, you should be. I'm sorry. So uh, <laughs> IGN reached out to you, but was you were you already putting stuff on YouTube before IGN? Uh, and, and I mean, like to you guys, to anybody, YouTube was very infant. Yeah. It, you know, there was yeah. just a few yeah. things being so, thrown out there. No one knew what it was. We were right. doing it for about two years. I think YouTube started in 2005. Yeah. And it was a huge relief to us because we didn't have to pay bandwidth or, you know, mm-hmm. it was a whole site dedicated to videos, which was perfect for what we were doing. And, and so we started uploading stuff to that. And um, Ubisoft contacted us. Those videos were real well received our dvd had come out at this point and we were making more public skits to promote the dvd and sell it through the something awful website uh rocco talks about game developers conference but we actually made a video where we made fun of a man named tommy tallarico uh-huh. he, he was a host slash composer uh, a host on g4 tv and uh, he saw the video we made where we made fun of him and you know to his credit he has a great sense of humor he reached out to us he's like hey, i think you guys are funny and he kind of put us in contact with um 
yeah. game developers conference. And so that's, you know, that's where we were at that point. When we, when we met Shigeru Miyamoto, we started doing the videos for game developers conference. We had already been on YouTube for a little while. Uh-huh. And and were your YouTube numbers good? I mean, was it? You know, at the time, I mean, no one really knew what it could be. You know, like no one had over a million subscribers. No one, you know, no one really had. They were good at the time. It was great at the time. I think we had like 10,000 subscribers. It was like, oh, cool. That's amazing. You know, everything else on YouTube was people filming their babies. (laughs) <laughs> or yeah, you know, yeah. like oh, or I filmed my sister. Yeah, I filmed, right. I filmed my sister falling off a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> and we were kind of the, uh, one of the few groups actually making content for YouTube that was original and, and, you, and scripted, but not and, not in a partnership form. This was just no. your guys's plan, like Correct. your independent plan. Was like we're going to make it specifically to put it out here. We were promoting our DVD, so you were kind of ahead of the curve on on that idea. Yeah. I mean, there might have been a couple other groups doing similar, uh, have a similar plan, but mm-hmm. not yeah. many. Yeah, that's. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I'm well, giving you credit here. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you yeah, hit the, the nail right on the head. But but YouTube honestly just felt like a place to, at first it was just like, okay, here's just a place that can host our videos so our, sure. our yeah. site doesn't crash. And it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, we weren't like investing a lot in it. Sure. And we still had part-time jobs yeah. because all the money we made just sustained what we were doing. So it printed yeah. the DVDs. You know, if we had a warehouse at the time, it was paying the rent for the warehouse, but we still couldn't, you know, we had to still work on the side. Were to, you guys making t-shirts and selling those? A little bit. So we had like two Sometimes. designs, I think. Mm-hmm. A little yeah, bit. nothing crazy. Um, but when we put, we put a Resident Evil 4 video on, we did a parody of that game and put that up in 2006. And then that got like, oh my gosh, that got a million views. It, it got, it was like on the front page of YouTube or something like that. And it was just like, oh my gosh, okay. This is crazy. I guess uh, we have a real YouTube channel now. Everyone was like, "When's your next video? When's your next video?" It's like, uh-huh. "Oh, I guess we're using YouTube." So we did that video with Miyamoto, the the create who was the creator of Mario and Zelda and all that stuff. And so that actually got for a minute was the number one video on YouTube. Like, so that wasn't even just a lot of hits. It was like mm-hmm. actually on back when they YouTube doesn't really do that anymore, but they would rank the videos uh-huh. for a minute. It was at number one, and so that just blew up. And so yeah, uh, IGN, this media company, was like, okay you've got something here. So let's work out a deal. Like maybe you do like two exclusive pieces for us every month and we'll pay you like a regular thing. And so, uh, that was when it was like, okay, if they're going to pay us regularly, maybe this needs to be full. Maybe we could do back then, uh, IGN, they're an online video game news magazine. They had this thing called the IGN insider program where people would subscribe and get exclusive content. So they wanted us to make exclusive content for you know, the stuff behind that paywall. So yeah. yeah, every two weeks we had to send a video to IGN and that that's when we were like, okay, we might be able to quit our jobs and, yeah. and work for IGN. So then that, that was when we actually were able to afford a studio. You know, we, we used some of that, you know, the funding we got from that. And, uh, and you guys quit your jobs. We quit our jobs. Yeah. And that was 2007. 2007. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at this point, were you exclusively now just working for IGN or were you still doing your own things on the side? We were still doing some stuff of our own. Like we did our first convention up in Seattle uh, and that was in 2007 as well. And that was our first time leaving like San Diego really to like try to sell our stuff out there. And we were working on the second season of yes. our, of third, our third, third. Yeah, at that oh, point, at that point. We, uh, 2006 out, yeah. we released, we kept going after the first one and we uh, released the second one in 2006. And then so we traveled to Seattle. I think that that to me was craziest when we got to Seattle and people knew who we were there. It's like, oh, you, like this is just San Diego. Yeah. It's like, oh, Seattle knows who we are. That's kind of yeah. cool. 
the other thing that you guys were, I think, uh, ahead of the game on was podcasting. Mm, yeah. Um, you've been doing your podcast since... Is it 2006? 2006. 2006. So one of, I mean, honestly, yeah. one of the first podcasts. Which that, again, yeah. that podcast started in Rocco's bedroom. Uh-huh. We would all sit yeah. on a futon around one camera yeah. and just talk pass, into the microphone. The microphone. And it's funny because as time has changed, like you used to tell people, I'm doing a podcast. Like, what's that? It's like, well, it's this radio show. You try to explain it. And now, like... Everyone knows what a podcast is, yeah. but it's just really, it's really funny. For a time, I have a screen ca- cap of like on iTunes, like number one comedy podcast, and like our podcast is there on that list. That's amazing because there was four of them, and we happen to be one of the four, <laughs> <laughs> and we were the best of the four. <laughs> you and Ricky Gervais, that That's was all right. Yeah. So, but, yeah. so you guys are doing the podcast, and and it's still going. You still do it every week. We do, uh, which is incredible. We I just mean, did episode what number four hundred and fifty-seven. That's incredible. That's a lot. It's a lot of hours of us talking. Although Mega64's numbers in terms of podcast listeners, subscribers, and views were growing more and more, they just didn't seem to notice or even think about it that much. Because you also come from an era where numbers weren't important. You know right. what I mean? Like oh, now yeah. everybody, that's all they care about is we numbers. Went, you know, numbers. we talk about IGN and we talk about all the positive things that worked out, but there were so many meetings we had with companies where, yeah, they'd ask us, so what are your numbers and what do you do? It's like, well, we don't really know that stuff. And they'd be like, okay, we have a deal we want to propose to you. And they'd basically like propose a contract where they own Mega64. And it's like, we're thinking about taking the property and maybe firing you. And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of deals that we had to navigate yeah, that didn't yeah. work out. They're like, I don't like that idea. Yeah, yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so what time, when, when, when did it happen that you had this partnership with YouTube? Because YouTube at some point started to offer partnerships with group. And, yeah. Back yeah. then, uh, you needed 3,000 subscribers to be eligible for the partnership program. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was like, a nickel per view back then they had a weird I don't it's no, different it's not, it's not any it's different now than it was back then yeah the um y- they had to invite you back in the day like now you can kind of like just fill stuff out and then yeah meet a certain quota but they had to actually like invite yeah, you but you needed 3000 subscribers to be eligible i think something like that yeah and uh in 2008 they finally it was weird cuz for a couple of years we knew tons of people getting partnered Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, what, what, what about us? like we were kind of doing stuff before a lot of these people, so yeah. what about us? You know, we're, we don't get no respect at all. But uh, <laughs> then 2008, we did some video. I maybe it was our Assassin's Creed one, honestly. Now loading Assassin's Creed. But we did something, and they were like, uh, "Hey, you should be a partner." Okay, and they, uh, yeah, and then that was when okay, we're actually making money on the ads on YouTube. Everything was trending up for Mega64. They were ahead of the pack when it came to YouTube, podcasts, and branded content. But then, executives wiggled their way in and threw them a curveball. And for about half of that, as Derek was saying, we were like part of the premium subscription content kind mm-hmm. of on their site. But they liked our videos enough that after a while, they were like, hey, you know what? We're going to move you on to another team. We're going to put you on the front page of IGN. Like, you're not going to be behind a a subscription wall anymore we like your content enough we're just going to put it on the front page and it was like oh that's awesome that's really really great great exposure right great everything but what happened was they turned us over to kind of like their main team and they were really unfamiliar with what we did so it was like why did you do this mm-hmm. oh i don't know like before it was kind of like yeah film anything and we'll put it up but once we were on the front page it became very delicate like walking on eggshells like you know yeah, you uh, you've got this video where you're just um, 
eating burgers and talking. Yeah, our viewers don't want to watch you eat burgers. Oh, okay. After a while, we started thinking like, you know, I don't know if we're going to be around on IGN for very much longer. Yeah, it was just no nobody that we talked to, I don't think is there anymore, but they yeah, they were very they you know, they were used to their own stuff, so it was just like they were rejecting stuff we made all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was like after yeah, it was around 2010 we were like, okay, um, we were yeah, still doing we'll, videos we'll do for Ubisoft too on yeah, the side. Yeah, they were still, yeah, still doing commission stuff for them and our and just our own stuff for fun. But um, yeah, they uh, we moved on from there. But at that time we left them. Uh, there was a site owned by Viacom, um, you know, all the MTV networks and stuff uh, called GameTrailers.com, and they were like, "We'll run your videos." That yeah, that would be great. So we basically entered into a similar deal with them. You know, mm-hmm. we just kind of moved over there. And they were like, yeah, we'll show your videos here, but also we'll run them on TV because we have, uh, you know, we we own <laughs> MTV, Spike TV, all these networks. So it was like, yeah, we'll air them and stuff. OK, so that's what we ended up doing is we moved over there and, and yeah, we were having new skits debut on cable and stuff. That was really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, it's like on Spike and, and yeah, War and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it was like after. Hey. Get after this episode of Mansers, you're gonna get a brand new video from us. You <laughs> yeah. know, at like one, two in the <laughs> yeah. morning. Well, yeah, yeah. I think so. our biggest prime time for me, the biggest thing was it was two seconds. But we, our video of ours made it onto TRL back when that was still a show. Yeah, it's a show now. But we we made it to TRL, which is like this is the coolest thing in the whole entire yeah. world. The offers kept flowing in, and the work was steady. Then in 2013, Mega 64 finally had their own panel at San Diego Comic Con, and it sold out. They started doing panels across the country at conventions in Boston, Seattle, New York, and Florida, all of them selling out. The guys started getting older, and questions started being asked, like, can we really just do this forever? You guys have been able to sustain this career path on your own, and I know, you know, Sean, you have a family, and, right. and Derek has a family, and Rocco is just lovely. A lot of figure, toys. A lot of toys. Yeah. But I mean, you guys have a you know real real people you need to help support in your lives, and you've been able to do it using this silly thing about making videos. Uh, yeah. I mean, is there a point? Was there a point during this climb where you guys were like, "Oh, this is going to end now. Mega sixty four is going to huh. be over." Well, I think I think we always you know just because of everything we've talked about here and kind of the way we climbed through all that we were always kind of relying on big companies to kind of carry us a little bit you know because uh-huh. that's just what we that fell into our laps it's like oh okay ubisoft wants this and now ign and now game trailers and all so we kind of um you know just yeah whatever whatever big company will let us do something that will fund us okay and so we kind of relied on that and that that started to go away a little bit you know game trailers is not around anymore and, uh, you know, all these kind of premium sites and things that, that worked with us started to kind of go away just because the nature of the industry. They just were moving on because, you know, YouTube was getting bigger. It's like, why do you need a special site to go to? Just go to YouTube, you know. So all these other, you know, it, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, what do we do? And it's funny because we had all along such great fans. Like we had really diehard fans. But we realized as those things started to go away, it's like, okay, we're putting out more merchandise. Man, our merchandise is doing really well. Like, we never really put out that much before, but, you know, other than, like, our DVD, you know, maybe right. a shirt now and then. But as we started to make more merchandise and, like, we would we would really put care into the designs and stuff, mm-hmm. it's like, man, our fans really are diehard. Like, they're, 
they're, you know, they're buying a lot of these designs. They're really like engaging with like, oh yeah, I really like this artwork. I really like this artist. And it's like, oh yeah, wow. Like maybe, you know, in all honesty, like our fans can support us. Like mm-hmm. they're diehard enough that, you know, they're willing to, you know, they want to support us. They don't want to see us to, you know, they don't want to see us go away. Right. So it's like, yeah, they were kind of here all along. Like, you know, it's <laughs> um, like. But yeah, you know, we started this when I was 18. These guys were like 19 and 20 yeah. and we really didn't have any business experience we didn't know what we were doing so there was a long time when i was just personally worried like what are we doing how long is this gonna last for yeah yeah you know we thought maybe this would turn into a real tv show or a movie deal and it kind of never did but then um i was talking to my mom after like the you know the big recession of the 2000s and she kind of pointed out like uh you know, so many businesses have gone out of business. They're not around anymore. And you guys still are. That's really amazing. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. Like, yeah, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're still (laughs) still in business. Like maybe we do have something special here. Yeah. We've uh, even called cockroaches of the internet because we're never like the biggest thing, but we're always around and we're not really going away and you can't kill us. Survive any implosion. Exactly. We've been around so many (laughs) businesses and YouTube groups that have collapsed and just are gone now and we're still, still going. (laughs) Over the last 15 years, they've seemingly done the impossible, turning their high school shenanigans into a steady income that comfortably supports them and their families. The guys just recently entered into the realm of Patreon, a subscription-based member service to help fund more ambitious projects like films and shows that are a little different than what Mega64 has done in the past. And in a very short amount of time, they have over 1,700 Patreon patrons. With all this success, there was still one more thing I had to ask them about. So now after years and years of... uh of just being successful with hundreds of thousands of fans across the world, mm-hmm. still in Santee. We're still there. Still in Santee. We're still there. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, is that just because you love San Diego? What's the reason we, of moving? Yeah, we've been told and offered to move to LA so many times, but, and honestly, like, well, honest, let's be honest. We're from San Diego. We resent L.A. Yeah, we all know <laughs> we that. We don't like it. When we were younger, it, honestly, moving to L.A. probably would have been a better a move. business move for us. But we just hated L.A. We love San Diego so much. But, but honestly, we can we go to L.A. all the time uh, whenever we need to. You know, there's stuff you have to. You know, I feel like if you're if you're really going to be serious about doing stuff in entertainment, you need to have access to L.A. You know what I mean? Kind of, sure, you know, or, yeah. or New York or whatever. And, but we do like at any given moment, I, you know, we'll go to LA and that's fine, but I'm very happy to get out. You know, it's like a very, you know, because honestly making stuff in San Diego, it's a totally different atmosphere because in LA, everyone's looking at you like, what is this? What are you making? Why are you making that? Do you have a permit for that? What do you do? You know, but you come to San Diego and it's like, Ooh, what's this? Mega64 continues to grow with the internet and have even become so big that they have their own day at Disneyland. What started as telling fans they'd all be at Disneyland on a certain day, Game Days has now grown from 50 kids hanging out to over 500 people from all over the globe joining Mega64 for a two-day mini convention. And Disneyland is in on it as well giving Mega64 convention goers discount tickets, their own showing of Captain EO, and even their own private ride on the Mark Twain Riverboat. And Mega64 continues to put out content at an extremely high volume. You can catch their podcast every Sunday night, which streams live, or check it out on iTunes and YouTube, 
And of course, you can find them at Mega64.com or on YouTube. Just type in Mega64. I suggest starting with that Tetris video. Thanks for listening to I Made It in San Diego. I wrote the show, Kinsey Moreland and Scott Lewis produced it, and Adam Greenfield mastered and mixed it. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcast to learn more about our weekly Voice of San Diego political affairs show, our Good Schools for All education podcast, the Kept Faith sports podcast, Beer Talk Radio, and all the shows in the Voice of San Diego podcast network. If you like the show, go to voiceofsandiego.org and click the donate button. Or if you'd like to sponsor it, contact Kinsey at K-I-N-S-E-E at V-O-S-D dot O-R-G.